so now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week as usual and say, okay, it's a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. I had the opportunity last October to spend some time with Craig Hastead, who I've known for many years. He's a man who looks at the whole of the supercars, in particular the engines. Today on Inside Supercars, we found out how he obtained his interesting position. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones I'm from the Cool Drive Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. I'm fortunate enough to grab Greg Hastead, who has taken time out from his busy pre-Gold Coast schedule, to come and talk to us, A, about your business, and B, about supercars and your involvement in it. So let's just talk about what started out as Craig Art yep. 25 years plus ago, um, it situated in Brown's Place. Tell us about that business. What is it? Well, it started off because we wanted to go racing. <clears throat> so myself, when I was very young, wanted to start drag We were in drag racing. As a lot of the names in the engine business were, Kenny, Noonan, myself, all started from the drag racing world. I used to race. I raced pro stock for five years. I won the Australian Pro Stock Championship in 1999. What was that in? In a pro stock car. Yep. So, what, what was uh, it? Uh, Ford Thunderbird. Ford. Ah, right. And I remember racing then and this young fella used to come out and every time we went to Melbourne for the Nationals this young fella called Glenn Seaton used to come by and talk about engines with me and he'd come up and he would every year he'd come we'd spend hours talking about engines I knew who he was but really I followed obviously followed supercars of them or, or group Re-8s. 8 group 8 yeah, yeah. Yeah. followed them but um, Glenn was a very used to walk around the pits always looking for ideas and of course forward being a forward in, in pro stock which was predominantly an engine category Glenn was always there, and I used to see him quite regularly. Yeah. So we started, we used to race, so we raced in to the late 90s. In the late 90s, there was a shortage of engine dynos, and a lot of privateer teams in Queensland, the Waldocks, all those sort of people, um, and we had one of the few engine dynos in commercially available engine dynos, so we started dynoing a lot How of... How big an engine dyno was it? Same dyno, same style dyno, so Superfly 901, similar sort of Which deal. can take how much horsepower? Oh, they can take a 1,000 horsepower. Yep. Uh, 10,000 RPM. <clears throat> so, because I think you're involved with, with drag racing and Fords, we seem to attract a lot of the Ford privateers, the Elrys, and all that sort of guys. We used to dine a lot of their engines. I think we were one of the first guys to, someone turned up, it's a funny story, we turned up, it was um, Larry Perkins' brother, and he wanted to put the injector upstream. He was the first guy to take the injector from down, wanted to put it out the end of the trumpet. And I said to the guys, look, this guy's on drugs. And they fitted it. We ran the engine first, put the injector in there, and I said, go and get all the fire extinguishers because we're going to burn this month because of the ground. And it was the first one we'd ever tried, and it was a supposed Formula 1 idea, and we had this nigger rig set up, and the thing worked, and it made another 15 horsepower. And that was the first ever saw the injector out the end, and then the whole world runs that now. Right. Um, so that's how our involvement. And then, of course, 
I think it might have been Elroy said, do you want to build an engine? So oh, build an engine. And that was sort of our start into the supercar world. And from then on, we've, we've worked in and out of teams till uh, mid-2000. I think I first met you doing Cam McLean's engines. No, I reckon it was Elroy's. Elroy's, yes. At Sandown. You're right. Yes. 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 And you walked up to me and said, who the hell are you and what are you doing here? Because <laughs> I think we had a good run there. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody. The only guys I knew in the field, I think, were Kenny worked at Stone Brothers and I think Noon and Kyle there, and they're the only people I ever knew in the whole paddock. Yeah. Um, so, and then in the mid-2000s, we stopped working for teams and then supercars come and ask me because I think Adam Perry worked with him, which we worked with him yep. at Larkas. And he said, we've got a problem with the camshaft. Can you give us an unbiased opinion? So did some testing, wrote a report. And then I think not long after that, they asked me to do some work for them, and I haven't left since. So yeah. I think I've been there, again, I'm terrible with years, 10, maybe 12 years we've right. been working on it. So it started as a very basic contract. Um, I did to 10 three rounds or something. So now where I attend every round. Um, um, I, I imagine that you never thought you were going to be a policeman, but... No, because, I mean, <clears throat> I was definitely a thief. <laughs> I mean, so... One of the, the tools that I think that advances me, everything that I'm trying to check for what people are doing wrong, I've done. So I look at what they're doing and I always look at, if I was in that shoes, what would I do? And it's been, an adva- it's been a good advantage when, when trying to investigate stuff because I always put myself in, in the shoes that I may have been in before where I've uh, done some stuff maybe not so quite within the rules. Right, okay, all right. Now, um, your job involves far more than just making sure what people have got in their engines and things like that. You're part of the system that uh, came to set up the way which things are measured and it, it's unique in supercars, is it? Not in the world Correct. Motorsport. Correct. I've never seen it in the world before. Okay. So one, one of the, the, the criteria when we tried to come up with a, a number uh, and the current number is called an AEP which is accumulative engine power. What we tried to do is we didn't want to restrict teams from having a max, just a, a fixed number. We wanted teams to have a, a way that they could tailor the engine power curve to suit their own particular racing and how an engineer feels that power needs to be put onto the track for whatever reason, for, for power down or for whether they thought there was an advantage. In some way. So the current system has it, <coughs> we put the engine on a dyno, <coughs> we measure the power at 50 RPM increments from 5,800 RPM to 7,450 RPM inclusive. Uh, and that accumulative number cannot exceed 20,654 horsepower. Right, okay. I don't want you to give away, I know you wouldn't give away, but um, do you see vastly different, you know, in the way in which people end up with that 20,000 horsepower sort of figure? Do you see, you know, a lot of variation in there? Over the years we've seen a lot of variation, but right now they've all dwarfed to a very similar power curve. Okay. And given that everyone's got the same gear ratio and the same racetrack, it doesn't surprise me they've ended up with a similar sort of power curve. All right, okay. I mean, we know that, you know, race teams, um, each one of them, and we'll just talk about, say, the top four or five, really, sort of, you know, in that um, DJR um, and Red Bull, um, Brad Jones, Walton Shores and Tickford, so those five teams. You see similar sort of numbers that come out of all of those. And they go about it ways, but they have different strategies really that come out of things. Absolutely. It's actually amazing when you pull the engines apart how some of the different components, they end up with a very, very similar, if not identical, power curve. <clears throat> again, there's some restrictions with RPM compression ratios and so forth. So it's, again, not surprised they've ended up there, but it's also equally surprised to see the different components that end up with the same number. Now, it's not just the building of the engines that's an important part of the equation, it's the measuring of those buildings. And you actually have 
uh, a unique uh, dyno uh, installation? Well, <clears throat> we've got two dyno cells, um, but one of the problems with, with when you're measuring en engines on an engine dyno is the ambient air. The air changes, the power changes, right? Even though the engine's got a, the, all dynos have a correction factor, you still can't beat the engine. So, for example, our engines are very uh, t uh, humidity relative. So, if the humidity goes up, the power drops off. More relative with the 85 than on, than on pump gas. So, one of the things that we looked at to do a really good job of this, we need a controlled air system. So, we investigated, and most teams, the supercar teams, have some sort of system. We investigated all of them around Australia, and then we went to the US and had a look at what everyone else, all the NASCAR guys. So there's a company over there called Dino Air, Stowe Technologies, and they do just about every NASCAR and pro stock team over in, in the US. So I went and met with them, and they've we've purchased one of those systems. They've come out from America and installed it only this year early, and we have the ability now to sit in the cell and program whatever um, barometer, whatever humidity, whatever temperature we wish to Tucson. So now, along with the restriction, with the mandated regulations on the power curve, we now have a set temperature and humidity and barometer that we test so we, we now give the teams the test criteria which they need that those engine needs to be tested at. Your workload um, you know, is very intensive uh, supercars. I remember a time when it wasn't it wasn't so intensive some years back and it's only ramped up since then. It, this can't be the business model that you actually thought was going to happen. Definitely not, definitely, definitely not. I don't think anyone saw the way the business model's gone now but I mean Racing around the world has changed so much. Everything's about saving money. Everyone's about sustainability. So all the stuff that we're doing now is about ensuring that the teams are a, abiding by all the rules, but also what we can do in the future to try and curb costs, stop teams spending too much money on engines, stop teams spending too much money on the on the cars. It's just a never-ending cycle that we do. But so I'm part of the technical department that supercars have, and my main role is is anything to do with engines. But we get involved in everything. I mean, fuel capacities aerodynamics, all that sort of stuff, that anything that I can bring is, and our business can bring to the department to assist them to do the job is what we do. Yeah, okay. It's a far cry from when I, I started in 94 and Ray Robbins was technical department and he'd recruit in Frank Adamson to come along and he's, Frank's still there. Yes. Um, um, but now there's Adrian Burgess and Campbell Little, you know, the, the, there's a heavy weight to the uh, technical department of supercars. Um, obviously, you know, based on some of the work that you do, they're making the changes. Yes, and look, I think it needs to be. I mean, we now have some big players in the field. I mean, they say we're not racing for sheep stations, but sometimes we'd argue that we're actually racing for more than sheep stations, you know. So, you know, we've got, we're obliged to do the best job we can at, at applying the rules. I mean, so that's what we do, and that's why it's so intense what we do. We're always looking for, we're always thinking of the next thing the teams can do. Whether I should say this or not, but we actually have a pre-brief, and we look at we actually look at teams now on what the race event is, what it does, where they could potentially cheat, and we actually look at the team's resources and say, this team's got a resource in this area, we need to investigate harder in that area because of that resource. We even go down to looking at the people that they employ, and if they've got a history for being a bit dodgy, we'll go and investigate them further. So we actually have a pre-brief and a debrief based around the team's ability, the teams, and even the staff they employ. All right, so your time actually is taken up, you know, a typical week. It's take to Gold Coast here. You're at track, but before then you've got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, I mean, like, I left work at 12.30 last night. So, I mean, the normal week before an event is very busy for us. I mean, Bathurst, 
I don't think anyone from the technical department went to bed the same day they got up. I mean, it's, it's funny, when we first started, the, the supercars used to be the first people to leave the track. I think most days I leave the track now, we're the last people to leave. Yeah. There's just Because of that, there's so much work. There's a lot of investigative work. There's a lot of data to troll through now. I mean, one of the things that happened a few years ago is we had a central telemetry system. So now all the cars' telemetry comes to a, a, our central hub. So with that, we've got 24, 26 cars from here running. We've got all that data coming through. Now it's impossible for us to, to be able to analyse that data on a real-time basis. So we have Som, who's our guru data guy, has written some incredible spreadsheets and MATLAB stuff that what we do is we're trying to have, we call it red flags. So it, it assesses the data real-time and anything that we think suspect that's got uh, a, a threshold, it pops a red flag and we go and investigate it. But that's the only way we can investigate that much data that quickly. Okay. Um, am I right in thinking that the most relevant series in the world for you and, and to look at is NASCAR? Because while it's not circuit racing, um, the, there is uh, heavily regulated and there's enormous amount of measurement and, you know, the whole thing. is NASCAR really the model that you think that... I don't think it's a model, but it's very, very similar to us. I mean, those, it's a two-valve pusher and it's very engine-oriented and it's extremely air-oriented NASCAR. So that's what we do look at. I mean, supercars have their own aerodynamics contractor. He works in, works a lot with NASCAR. So we're very closely associated with both with NASCAR. And we do actually look over their shoulder and see what they're doing. And, and, and you're comfortable with the way in which you're part of the equation, which is the engine, is, is going. I mean, uh, obviously there's a time, a finite time somewhere in the future. I mean, you know, it's, it's maybe 10 years, I don't know. We'll be, it won't be racing. It'll be something different, some different mechanism, whether it's going to be batteries or whatever, but that's going to come, isn't it? Look, I think we'd be arrogant to think that it's not going to come, you know, I mean, the world changes so fast, you know, I mean, I mean, who would have thought there would be a Formula E class, you know, I mean, like, maybe I'm just too old here, but I mean, I think it's definitely going to change. When that will be, I don't know, um, but I think we'd be arrogant to think that it's not going to change, you know. Okay. I mean, well, hybrid has been on our, I mean, Sean's released that we're looking at hybrid, I mean, there's, there's lots of things. I think we'll end up at a hybrid thing before we end up electric, you know. Yeah, right, okay. All right, now um, you're involved in other categories as well with supercars. The, the business is, so my business, Craigstead, I mean, so we are the control engine supplier for the Aussie race cars. I think they've got 50 or 60 cars registered around Australia, so we do all the engine for that. We also got involved with this, we did all the, the Ute series, which was a V8 Ute series until that uh, debunked a few years ago. Couple years ago. You, you had to have a balance of performance across those different correct, engines. Correct, correct. So, well, those engines are different. They're, they're a set spec, so they, they all need to make the same power and there's a tolerance we need to involve yep. And then the Super Ute series, which is a diesel series, and that started about two and a half years ago. But um, when we first started that, you could have written everything I knew about a diesel on a postage stamp. We know a little bit more about them now, but I mean, that was a, a really interesting project spend a lot of time um, unfortunately that's I believe that's coming to an end or near and coming to an end next year um, but it's uh, from a technology point of view we really enjoyed it we there was a lot of a lot of work we did there and we, we learnt a lot and developed a lot with the in conjunction with Motec with the ECU uh, very very enjoyable but again motorsport changes never stands still nothing stays so forever no. yet um, yes there's been rumoured um, a V8 possibly for those Utes yes and we're talking with those guys now with Craig Engine correct, correct. Yeah. which will go back to similar to what they were when they were the what they call the AV8 UR series which was a a Cody or a um, LS you know okay um, so let's just um, look ahead to your five years I mean you obviously would be looking to have somebody else working beside you to lessen your load a bit, maybe? 
Well, we've got sort of four or five guys at work now, but it's funny. Um, They're not involved in the supercar business. Um, are they? No, not well. We send them. They do a bit of track support, and one of them's doing the track support for the Super Ute series. But I mean, when when we do a project, I mean, we do an engine tear down. The boys are involved, and that's not all primarily me. But long term, I mean, maybe it's silly, but I just see I see me retiring and doing this stuff. You know, I don't. I, maybe that's sad. I don't know. But I mean, we we uh, if you love what you do, you don't actually think about rolling the sleeves up and unfortunately or fortunately I don't know how to look at it but I love what I do I mean I love I still look forward going to the track and I mean I've been going to racetracks since for probably 30 plus years and I'm still not sick of it you know what I mean so um, I'm looking forward to this weekend you know what I mean even a bad weekend at motor racing is still a good weekend you know (laughs) yes indeed Um, do you have a um, a end of year supercars have an end of year summary do you sit down as a whole technical department and and, you know, these are the highs, these are lows, this needs to be fixed, this is what we're doing. And does that happen Not yet? directly, not directly. I mean, with um, Adrian, it's something that we should do. We, do. we don't self-analyse, I think, as much as we should, and that's primarily because we're just so crazy busy. I mean, it's not unusual for, for me to leave work at midnight and call one of the other guys who works in the technical department, and he's still awake working. I mean, we're, we're really... This year's probably been the toughest year, you know, I mean, we, we just, I mean, there's been a lot of aero stuff going on, and it just seems to be always something to do, you know, there's never, there's never a break, you know, I mean, these next three rounds are just going to be crazy. You've been through four or five different versions of what was a technical department. Obviously, it's, it's manned up a hell of a lot more than it was in recent years, and has that been to your betterment sort of thing? Um, look, you, it's always good to surround yourself with good people, I mean, we've got some good people there now, I mean... It's just probably too busy. If I had one criticism, it's just too busy for us. But I, th- I, d- I think every business is, is one man short, and we're certainly one man short, you know what I mean? So. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's uh, wonderful to get insight into it. We'll catch up with you uh, maybe at Sandown and uh, when you look back over the, the year sort of thing and you know, what the highs and lows for you. Have you got any thoughts on what have been your highs and lows over the last 12 months? Look... Everyone's proud of different things. I mean, and, and probably what I'm proud of probably won't mean much to people. But I mean, we're on the uh, on the edge of doing some, I think, some real good gains in cost savings on engine. Now that doesn't sound much for an engine guy, but I'm excited about that. We the lambda rule that was implemented, that was quite a significant thing. It was a major ECU change, and I'm quite proud of that because it was successful and didn't cost anybody money to save money. I mean, that sounds terrible. I'm, I'm proud of something that, to save money instead of making horsepower. But that's how the world's changing. I mean, I'm now proud of... I used to... If you asked me 10 years ago if I made power, I was proud. Now I'm proud of saving money. But I, I guess that's the way the world's going, you know? It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's where we all are, you know? So, But, yes, yeah, so I'm proud of some of the stuff we've done. All right, wonderful. Well, thanks for your time, Craig, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you in the near future. Thank you, Tony. Next week, we start its two-week special with a man who established Supercars Media, the television production arm of the Supercars business, Murray Lomax. I'll hope you all join us for that. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.